This is Toby Haydokes, who's round. Go from podcast 119. Uh, he doesn't introduce himself, so I'll tell you, it's Bill Sellers. Once again, I am uh, being given hospitality by uh, somebody that's had an involvement with Doctor Who, and I'm particularly excited because I don't believe this gentleman has spoken a recorded interview about his contribution to Doctor Who before. So I'm going to ask him to introduce himself to you and tell you who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Yes. Um, it happened very early in my BBC career. I, will, I got a, a short-term contract for about three months as a holiday relief um, assistant floor manager. From I'd been ten years in rep. And at that time, production assistants were able to direct because it was the time when ITV was starting up and they were pinching all the staff from the BBC, so there's a bit of a shortage. And uh, I was asked, would I do um, four episodes of Doctor Who as a director? William Hartnell was due to have a holiday, and the script had been specially written so that he, we could, all his sequences were recorded separately, uh, and he could go off and have a holiday, and the rest of the cast would then rehearse the four episodes. And when he came back, they'd put them all together, and you'd have four complete episodes of Doctor Who and the Celestial Toymaker, it was called. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that. I, I'd started. I'd, and in the script, the, the writer had obtained the permission to use two names because the head of drama serials at that time uh, was a man called Gerald Savory, who was famous for writing one play, really, and the play was called George and Margaret, in which the characters never appeared, mm -hmm. and he'd incorporated that kind of thing in, into his script of Doctor Who. And Gerald Savory had given his permission quite happily, and, and I got the sort of the scripts, and I, the, the, the sets were being constructed. I cast. I got a number of people who were going to do it for me. The other characters, not not William Hartnell, he was going to have a holiday, um, and I got. They were ready, and the scripts were ready. I was ready, I was on the point of going into rehearsal and Gerald Savory changed his mind. He said, no, you can't use the names of George and Margaret. And we were left without scripts, where scenery was being built, costumes were being designed, and I was ready to start rehearsal. And he said, no, we're not doing it. So the panic station, what do I go to rehearsal next week? What do we do? And new to the BBC, I'd only been there you know, about a month or six weeks. And um, I thought, well, well, we'll just have to do it. So my, my script editor, not the writer, the script editor, the writer had gone to America, he couldn't be bothered. But the script, my script editor said, I will have to write four new scripts. So he went at home and he wrote four new scripts. 
a new, totally new script, but using the same characters except George and Margaret. Well, yeah, because hadn't you cast Carmen Silvera and Carol yeah. Singer as George yeah, and Margaret, and then, then they right. had to play everybody else instead? And everybody, yes, and so they had to be given the same parts, rewritten by my script editor, and um, he, he created the King and Queen of Hearts, and he created picked up another character and, and we got out the whole thing Dylan. I was in my office and scripts kept arriving <laughs> and pages kept arriving ready for me to work on to, to go to uh, into rehearsal with the same people, the same actors um, but different scripts. Um, because the George and Margaret um, gestation everybody uh, is, is quite well known yeah. but nobody has ever seen the scripts, the script, your original scripts that you worked from, nobody has ever seen those. No. So did they differ quite a lot from what Jerry Davis rewrote? Um, oh, yes, yes. I think the, the basis of the Celestial Toymaker was the original concept, but the scripts themselves, and although George and Margaret never appeared, they were very much an integral part of the original scripts, in, even in theory. Mm -hmm. But uh, I had never seen them, after, apart from reading them to begin with. Uh, after that, they just, well, I think Gerald Savory may well have said, no, you can't have those now, because then you've got used really? to them. It's a, it's a shame you couldn't say, well, we'll have Godot instead, you know, yeah, another right. character that never appears. So we, we did it. Uh, without without, camp, uh, without um, um, the original and uh, separately to the original and put it all together and uh, and it became a cult. Mm. Everybody was trying to collect it and after its first transmission of this new uh, Doctor Who, it disappeared. Mm. Never been seen again. Except uh, one episode. Yeah, have you seen that? Uh, yeah, I was sent a present. Because I've brought it with me, just have in you case really? you haven't You've seen got it. it. Yes. I bought a present. It was bought for me by my, one of my uh, AFMs at that time, uh, who then became a PA and then became a producer of Doctor Who, and that, of course, was John Nathan Turner. Of course, of course. Well, we'll yes, we'll get to... To, to John later, but um, so you've seen, you've seen. Uh, so he, he sent me a copy. He sent you a copy. It embarrassed me. He was terribly scratchy. <laughs> and I, 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 I do, I don't have it here. In fact, I left it behind in Spain because I still have my house in Spain, uh, and it's in my stuff there, wondering what am I hell am I going to do with all this lot? Um, and it's there, and I, I played it. And I thought, oh God, this is awful. <laughs> What did you think was wrong with it? Just the, the technology of the time? Well, it was my early days, you see. I hadn't done much tele at all, no directing. I'd done a lot of directing in the theatre in Derby and Northampton, but I hadn't directed television. And it was the very first television that I ever directed. And they said, would you, do, would you like to do this? I think they were desperate. But they said, would you like to direct these four episodes? I said, OK, all experience. Um, so I was new to it. I was new to the television technique. Yes, I had to admit to, to John Nathan Turner, he wasn't the producer then, um, to the producer of Doctor Who at that time, that it wasn't uh, Doctor Who was not a favourite programme. 
and I, and I said, I, I've never got my head round it at all. I, I don't understand it. It's <laughs> out of my, my scheme of things, and I, I don't really... But I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it. I'll, you know, it's all experience. And John, in due course, many months later, invited me to one of these Doctor Who seminars yes. of fans who meet in their hundreds now. Uh, and he invited me to talk uh, about my experiences, the one and only experience of Doctor Who. And so I did. But I made the terrible error of saying that Doctor Who was never a favourite programme of mine. <laughs> I was almost lynched. <laughs> oh, well, you, you're perfectly at liberty to say what you like here. There's no lynching. Well, right, li I, and they had to rescue me from the stage. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Is that why you've only ever done one convention? <laughs> I've never done any more. <laughs> oh, well, this is a, this is a much... Much less tense atmosphere. You'll be fine here. All right. <laughs> Lynch. Lynched for not liking and, and Doctor I, Who. And they said, what the f are you doing that for? I said, well, I, I have to be truthful. I, it was never a favourite programme. I mean, anyway, um, I, was, I was cross with him at the time anyway because he'd pinched Peter Davison from me. Of course, because you were producing course, all creatures great and small, all creatures, you and, see. and so your your one of your leading men was stolen by a friend and fellow producer. That's right, and um, because it had taken me two years to persuade Alf White, or James Herriot, to let me do any more. He wrote five books, and we'd used all that material that was available, and, we, and I was under pressure from um, programming for more. We done and, and he refused. Of uh, James Harriet said, "No, you're not doing it. You've done. You've used all the books. You're not doing any more. If if you do some more, you will only invent it." And I don't want that. He said, "I don't have the time to check it, and it's based on real people that he's worked with as a vet, and they'll recognise themselves again, and I'll be in he'll be in terrible trouble." from his customers to sure. animals or the farmers and all of that. And you're not doing any more. Eventually, I, I, he agreed to do a special, a Christmas special. I said, you must have some um, bits of notes on, on old envelopes where you've made to, as a story for the future. I said, if you send those to my script editor, Ted Rhodes, uh, he will put them all together and make a new story without inventing anything. It'll be totally what you have written on your envelopes. Uh, and he agreed eventually to do a 90-minute special, uh, which worked. So that's why how Series 7 um, came into being. And we were made, say, after 7, I said, what about number 8? <laughs> Nine, but we got as far as um, four more complete series before I we ha I had to admit that we reached the end. Saturation. I can't think of anything else. And Ted had gone off from the BBC to work elsewhere. I think he became the uh, drama critic of a Wimbledon newspaper at the moment, putting together my um, biography which I finished, 
and I thought if only I had Ted nearby to say, what do you think of this? He might say, that bloody rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it, uh, so I, I miss him. Well, that's the that's a very BBC thing, is that you have a producer and a script editor who, who, the the great a lot of the great programmes have been made by partnerships that's like right. that. That's right. I think yeah. with Doctor Who you have Ter- Terence Dix and Barry Letts who were a great sure. great team. Sure. So you sure. you found a, a a good script editor was essential for your job then Vital. when you were producing. Vital, yes. I mean, and, and anybody a good one, you can't do without them, and they contribute so much, you know. Um, script-wise, and Ted was a very good writer, um, worked a lot in the States. He knew what, how to put a script together, he knew what the beginning was, he knew the middle and he knew the end, and he could actually weave those together and create them that they were really one whole. They were never disjointed, he knew, he had the brain to actually, as a writer, um, to put those programmes together. So when John Nathan Turner came along and said he wanted Peter Davison to play Doctor Who, who was your one of your stars, that that was a bit that was a bit inconvenient, of I'm course. guessing. Yeah. <laughs> put it mildly. Um, because I just got James Herriot to agree to go on making some more old creatures. And one of my leading characters <laughs> Disappeared. He went off to do Doctor Who. And had you cast Peter? Yeah. So what did you see in him as a as a as a young actor that uh, that lent him to to be a leading Peter man for Davis. you? Yeah. Yes. Well, he, you know, I was I started from scratch casting all of them. Um, started with Robert Hardy. I'd always thought of Robert to be Siegfried in, in the old creature. Um, I couldn't find a James Herriot couldn't think I, I, everybody I thought no, I was under pressure to cast a star name if we could afford it um, but I said I can't see anybody being James Herriot I can't find him I don't know what to do I just searched I, Graham MacDonald who was the head of serials and I said he said have you got your Herriot and I said I, I can't I can't find it however sadly uh, a, a fellow producer called Martin Lismore. Yes, who did I, Claudius? Martin, we were great friends. He used to go, you know, Sunday teas with Martin and family. And uh, a very good, a very good producer. He was destined for higher BBC positions, I felt sure. He was killed in a car crash in Northern Ireland. And he was in the middle of a program called Murder Most English with um, Chris Timothy. And I was asked, in view of the fact that Martin had lost his life, would I take the program over? And I said, yes, I would. Uh, And I did the rest of the program, but I did not put my name on the credits because in in respect for Martin. Uh, But... At the first meeting I had when I went to rehearsal in Birmingham to, to look at the, the programme was Christopher Timothy. And I thought, I think that's my James Herriot. And so I said, 
And I said, no, maybe not a star enough name yet. We'll, I'll cast him as Tristan. That might work. And um, so I invited him to my office in Threshold House and said, would you like to come and talk to me, Christopher? And he came into the office and said, before we start, I'd better tell you I am only interested in playing James Herriot. So it sowed a seed, and I thought, well, maybe, perhaps. So I, I, I began to look at the uh, Christopher against a mental background of um, all creatures great and small. I thought this, he had a great sense of humour. Um, and very much like James Herriot, very much like Alf White in, in his manner, you know. And I, I, I said, eventually I went, I took my, my fate in my hands and I, with Graham MacDonald, I said, look, I think Christopher Timothy should play James Herriot. Held my breath. A uh, long time before he replied and they said, yes. I'll back you in that choice. And that's how Christopher Timothy got the job. And I then offered the job to, um, to Peter Davison to play Tristan. Because I thought, yes, that'll work. And Carol Drinkwater at the same time. I said, that's Mrs. Henry. And that's how the forecast had come. But, but you must know the old saying, never work with children but animals so I mean what <laughs> did that not cross your mind when you decided to take on a show well, called uh, Creatures uh, Great and Small and we did 84 episodes <laughs> so that's a lot of animals every one of them I did <laughs> and with animals but it was uh, it worked you know something about it had that right sort of content it, it, it became a world favourite Mm. You know, it actually it was watched by at its height about twenty million viewers. It was a Sunday night necessity, you know. So for for because this is very much a product of the BBC. As listeners to this podcast will know, it the same BBC that produced Doctor Who, where a producer was in charge, um, and it was done you know through the BBC machine. So who were some of as as a producer? Who were some of the directors that you worked with that really? you felt excelled at the sort of television that you were making? Peter Moffat. Was, does that mean anything? Yeah, he did a number of Doctor Who's. Yeah, he did a number of Doctor Who's. Peter? Um, funnily enough, one of my favourite directors, um, who actually didn't do uh, An Old Creatures, um, used to be a very young, clever uh, stage actor, um, Peter Hammond, Peter Hammond, Peter Hammond, yeah. Um, and he did one or two, but he did a lot of work for me. Mm. Every time I, you know, the first script I was handed, I would always think of Peter mm. uh, before anybody else. And he had and a very good a... career, mm? he had a very good career. He did have a good career, he died, of course, in mm. a couple of years ago, yeah, yeah. Um, very good, good stuff. He was great fun. Actors great liked him too. Great sense of humour. Jolly, you know, nothing phased him at all. He was wonderful. Mm. So I used him as often as I could. Um, <laughs> anything that looked a bit risky, I thought, well, Peter will do it. <laughs> Peter, Peter will do it. I was given a 30-minute theatre. 
to do. Um, and during it, um, a fart was called for. So I thought, well, knowing the BBC, when I became a director, I was given a booklet of what I, what I could do and what I couldn't do, what I could say and what I couldn't say, you see. But I thought, I'll never get away with this. Anyway, we did it, and with Peter and the sound department, we did it. And uh, like all programmes in drama department, they were viewed by Graham MacDonald at that time, uh, before they were transmitted. And uh, we transmitted uh, this one. We actually I played this one in playback with, with Graham, and uh, he said, was that a fart? And I said, yes. He said, remove it. <laughs> I spent two days with the editor trying to cut round it, get rid of it. But now, of course, I mean, I, there was a Doctor Who, which I saw full of, uh, almost like balloons, um, and, the, and it never stopped. Yes, yes, and had the line, would you mind not farting when I'm trying to save the world? <laughs> yes. Um, so how times have changed. Uh, where is the BBC? I used to know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then you get, then at the moment you you look Mrs Brown's boys and you think, you can't do that. You can't say that. But... Do you, different. do you wish you'd have had that sort of freedom in, back in the day? Or Not really. I, th I, I, don't th I think I would have been embarrassed. I was brought up in a very strict Methodist family. You know, no swearing, no drinking, no smoking. And that stayed with me for a long time. And I would be embarrassed. I, I mean, it took me a long time mm -hmm. to actually move from that. I mean, I don't think it's any worse for it. I think it's a, a great move forward because it's it's no longer that kind of thou shalt not. Mm -hmm. Well, going right back to because um, uh, before we started recording, we were about, we were discussing your time in North Africa, uh, in East Africa, where where it all began, and you were telling me. So let's take it up from there about an encounter with a certain James Perry, which was the start of it all, was it? With a certain James Perry. Yeah, well, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, James Perry wasn't in the East African Army. Jimmy Perry. Jimmy was running, was stuck in, in Mumbai and Bombay, running this concert. But as you, if you know Jimmy, he was obsessed with the variety side of the business. His life was musical, double acts, comedians. He was a comic himself within the, the concert party. We did a double act. And, um, and we worked together until Jimmy went to Combined Services Entertainment, CSE, which replaced ENSA. Uh, every night something awful. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and that replaced ENSA uh, combined services, uh, um, mainly comprised of 
professionals in the army. Um, there are a unit enter initially and then combined services. Uh, and uh, I, I applied for combined services. Jimmy had already gone to combined services as an entertainer and I applied to go from this concert party in Bombay to go with the combined services and uh, entertainment and I joined them in uh, Pune and went on tour. There were five musicians and five artists of various kinds and each, each show was totally knit together and interchangeable so that if any newcomer arrived, like me, and sent out to Pula, all I had to do was to drop into the place that has been vacate, vacated by another comic who had been demobbed, as long as the costumes were all right. And we could still get into <laughs> the same costume. And I did that for about three, two years before I eventually was the same. I was demobbed and became the... the, the hell am I going to do now? I can't go back to being what I was doing before. Uh, I, I had no professional experience in the theatre. I'm very keen on the theatre. I've done amateur theatres and things. But I said, I've got nothing really. What can I do? So I began writing myself more comic act, thinking, well, I'll try that. And so I began to sort of build up an interest in light entertainment side of, of, of theatre and uh, I never did it professionally um, until eventually I got my first professional job in 1947 and that was that it was behind you. Um, now Eric Taylor there on the top line, Eric yeah. Taylor became a television presenter by the name of Shaw Taylor. Ah, ah ha, ha, ha. Are you with it? So you were keeping appealed for opportunities. <laughs> Shaw Taylor. Yeah. We, we weren't mates, we were just part of the cast, but Eric became Shaw Taylor and a reputation, I believe, with the ladies, did it, Eric? Oh, really? Oh, yes. Um, you did some work on A for Andromeda, didn't you, the BBC series, and you're also in that... So the fact that you've done a bit of acting, I think you're a soldier in that as well. Had they gone well? So it says. Because <laughs> you've got a card, on you go. I know. We had a, um, a, a lovely leading lady in that. And uh, you, you probably know. Judy Christie. Yeah. And uh, very nervous, straight out of RADA or whatever. Our first job. And we did some filming in a converted cave down on the coast and she had a certain amount of business to do um, because it was a cave there wasn't much room but there was room for two cameras so the director was able to cut from one to the other happily and uh, but she was so nervous she kept doing the business so fast she didn't allow time for the cameraman to turn the turret and switched the lenses, and the director was going berserk up in the gallery, saying, for God's sake, slow her down, because she was quickly saying the lines, and he, he couldn't get the lens round in time. 
So eventually he said, look, what you'll have to do, he was in the upstairs, I was on the floor as a PA, he said, what you'll have to do, I want you to do, is to lie down next to her, as close as you can, without even a playing card between you, and quietly and slowly talk her through it. So I had to go right back, there was Julie Christie, there, <laughs> and say, she had to light a match, light a candle, blow it out in that kind of sequence. And I had to say to her, match, candle, blow, without anybody hearing it. Uh, it worked, except if you listen very, very carefully, you can hear light, blow, <laughs> match. Well, you, I mean, one of your first, you worked on The Newcomers, which was live, so you're responsible for pictures that you've got no control over once they've been shot, so that must have been quite a, uh, a, a, yes, an intense the, experience. The producing element as such came much later. It wasn't there to begin with. It was created and injected into the BBC's way of doing things because somebody had to take responsibility at the end of the day. You can't always blame the director. I directed the newcomers. I produced the newcomers when producers began to take about it. Sure. I, a lot of this, you've probably read all this on the internet, but I did um, 199 Park Lane. I did something else. and uh, Mainly twice weekly, soap opera stuff at that time, apart from 30-minute theatres. And eventually I did a Doctor Who, as you know. But so that, yes, um, the producer came after the director. I think it inherited that from the American element. Mm -hmm. uh, and more so now they're responsible financially. They don't yeah. inject any money, but they'll get the bullet if they actually overspend it. And I've exceeded the time I said I would spend with you, so I will. I, I will try and um, conclude by by, by um, asking you to maybe think of some of the productions that you look back on now, because you've been writing your memoirs. So first off, how's that been going back through it all? Well, you have you remembered things you thought you'd forgotten? Uh, no, it's it's been difficult, naturally, and you can see it. It's all over the place at the moment. <laughs> Uh, it's tidier than my I office. I got into a total model um, in page numbering and I cannot <laughs> sort it out. I'm going hairless, if any left, um, trying to put it together and, and into a, a biography. Uh, it's almost there. It's almost there. But there was one, a couple of, a couple of chapters of really sent me mad because I made the mistake of renumbering because I thought that fits better in that position but I'd forgotten that once you start juggling it around like a jigsaw puzzle it all has a ripple it's effect it's all over the place, yeah. everything else is affected by it in yeah. sequence yeah. And if, it's, if it's written in sequence you can't actually change it because you might change it on that page but Ten pages further on. Yeah. Oh Christ! Look what's happening. That won't work. So you go back and do it all again. Yeah. So that's where you are with it at the moment. But looking back, have the are there any productions that you you sort of look back and go, I I nail those are the ones that I'm the proudest of. I uh, well um, well obviously, 
the obvious one is all creatures um, for, for 84 episodes met a lot of wonderful people all the Yorkshire farmers all of those the people in Yorkshire um, in Richmond and Yorkshire and the vet families the veterinary advisors um, we had a very good vet advisor in uh, from Askerig. Um, he's the man who taught the actors how to examine the cow's bottoms. Um, he was the one I never did it, but they, you know, they were always doing it. In fact, it became a it became a catchword in on occasion. Oh, Christopher's at it again. <laughs> well, even Robert Hardy did it very good. As Robert Tim. Um, a great asset to the program. Um, if there was there was James Harriet saying, you must not change anything, because Siegfried, the senior partner, and James Harriet, of course, were uh, seniors in the uh, in the practice. Uh, Siegfried was the gen senior partner, and with an actor like Robert Hardy. Uh, He's never the same. Uh, he doesn't just go on and say the words. He is or was forever adding to it, uh, increasing the way that he accepts and does things. So he's never the same. He just doesn't go on and say it. He goes on and creates from what he's been given. But he loved it as well, you see. He was an animal man. Four dogs, all belonging to the, the company. I had two golden retrievers. John Nathan Turner had another one. Robert Hardy had one. And and what about John? Because John was quite a controversial last producer of Doctor Who. Um, but were you? I mean, you you worked with him. You had quite a lengthy working relationship with John Nathan Turner. Uh, once that he began to be a PA and producer and certainly I suppose because Doctor Who was really the only program which he was associated with in any seriousness at that point our relationship as friends in the same department of the BBC ceased um, and I rarely if ever did we meet socially after that and certainly when he pinched Peter Davison, we didn't. <laughs> Our ways parted. Well, I've, I've taken up far too much of your time. You've oh, been very kind. Um, we, we ask you, because you've kindly given your time, and this is a free enterprise, we ask you to nominate a charity that the listeners can donate to. So what's your charity? Yes, well, it, uh, I had uh, a partner. Um... We lived together for 25 years. Um, he had... Um, he had um, a sarcoma, which was cancer of the white blood cells, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now, if any charity for that, then I would have them donated to that. He dropped Enough. dead last year. So you've done some readjusting in the past 12 months? Sorry? So you've had to do some readjusting in the past 12 months? Yes. 
Yeah. Well, I'm glad part of that... He was made... 45. Oh, my goodness. Mm. My goodness. And you were in Spain? Lived in Spain for ten years. In a cave. In a cave? And you haven't talked about that. No. <laughs> was, no it ca- was it a cave with, ex- with, with electricity? Uh, and running water. Uh, no, it's been a terrible twelve months. Well, that's why memories are good, I suppose. And um, and it's very good of you that you you, you, yeah, and that you're putting it all down. <laughs> you're recording it all. I am. I, I think, am. It? You know, I think that proves it's all. You know, yeah. it's all of interest and it's all good stuff. Yes, good, good. Uh, well, thank you for your time, Bill. Pleasure. Doctor Who's 50 years old this year, would you believe? I know. Started the day after Kennedy's assassination. 50 years ago. Yeah. I think I must have been. I, I'm 88 now, so surely. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, um, thank you. Um, Bill, what's your message to the Doctor Who fans? I know it's not your greatest, but to have just one small association with it means that your, you will, your name will live on forever and ever uh, associated <laughs> yeah, with Doctor Who, whether you to, like it or not. No, not. Well, what do I say to them? I would say, uh, although I said um, it was never one of my favourite programmes, um, and I don't watch much of it anymore, in fact, I don't watch television anymore very much. Um, my, my message is, I'm glad it's lasted so long. At least it's, you know, I wish I'd have been a part of it. Really. Well, Bill says it's been an absolute pleasure and an honour to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Bill. His charity is lymphomas dot org dot uk lymphoma l y m p h o m a s lymphomas dot org dot uk they have a donate page it was a long one so no trailer for the next who's round but i trust you'll listen to it till then bye bye coming soon from big finish productions the fourth doctor adventures Suburban hell. Bit of a hiccupette in the catering department. I don't suppose you'd have a jar of mayonnaise about the house? This is suburban England, late 1970s by the decor. There's mixed nuts in the sideboard. Would you be a darling? Put them in a dish for me. We find ourselves in dire need of a few electronic oddments for the purpose of running repairs. And what are you driving? The doctor has a TARDIS. Well, that's one of those funny makes, isn't it, from Eastern Europe? So there is a wrinkle in time in the street outside. Yes, and the TARDIS has slipped to the far side of that instability. I do not understand this temporal wreckage. Only that it caused the TARDIS to disappear just as soon as we stepped out of it. Curious, this picture. Woman with a blue face. Oh, I should say so. Look at the sky in the background. Well, I see a stars. Stars, exactly. This particular astronomical arrangement is visible only from a point deep within the heart of the constellation Monoceros. Thing is, we were wondering about the Hopkinses. The people who used to live here. No one wants to say about them. Was there some scandal? What's that noise? Are we expecting someone for dinner? Only you. What is it you want? You have three minutes more to surrender the vessel. What's it on about? I don't know. Uh, you two got a boat? I think them blue things might be uh, eating him. Well, Doctor, can't say it's not been a good innings, but this time the chips are down and here comes the ketchup. Big finish. We love stories.